Welcome to another edition of Teaching Restored, where we help teachers of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ become better teachers to help bring who they teach closer to Christ. I'm Kevin Jones. I'm Julie Hilliard. And Julie, we get to hear what you're going to say today. And you're going to lead this whole discussion thing. Are you ready? No pressure. No, none at all. And I don't okay, know what wanna, we're talking about. I know. I'm not going to tell you either. You just got to respond on the fly. I'm, I'm, These are my favorites. Bring it on. Okay, so we have brought up a quote before on this podcast, and I think I've even butchered the quote when I tried to quote it, but I looked it up so that I can make sure that I quote it correctly. And I want us to dive into this quote just a little bit and talk about two benefits. There are probably a hundred benefits, but two benefits that come from applying this quote. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you wondering what the quote is? Please tell me. It is not a prophet or apostle. Okay. It's Oliver Wendell Holmes. Great. Okay. Um, this is the real quote, I think, not the butchered version. For the simplicity that lies this side of complexity, I would not give a fig. But for the simplicity that lies on the other side of complexity, I would give my life. So. Yes. I love I have that misquoted concept. That. I have misquoted that to say I wouldn't give a fig or I don't give a fig for simplicity on the near side of complexity, but I would give my right arm. I don't know where I got that <laughs> for simplicity on the far side of complexity. Life, right arm, whatever. Same thing. I know, no, you know. Okay, so I want to break this quote down just a little bit because if okay. you quote that to somebody who's unfamiliar with that quote, they're kind of like, la, 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 what? And I remember feeling a little bit that way when I first heard the quote. So let's kind of break it down just a little bit. And I want you to imagine, and I can't figure out the right analogy for this. I was driving to pick my dog up from the vet today and I went through a thousand analogies in my brain, but none of them really actually played out quite how I wanted them to. Okay. But so this is a really bad analogy, really bad description. So I think about myself, this is what actually is in my brain when I think about this. I think about myself standing on the edge of a forest and I'm looking at these beautiful trees. So this isn't like a scary, daunting, haunted forest. This is like a really pretty forest. Okay. Okay. And I do know though, that no matter how pretty the forest is from the outside, once I step into that forest, there are going to be dark patches. There are going to be muddy patches. There are going to be, you know, patches where I might encounter a bug or two, which is not something I'm a fan of. Um, but there are also going to be these beautiful spots where like the light is going to shine through the trees and you're going to see shadows that, um, just kind of illuminate things, you know, beyond them just beautifully. And, um, so imagine yourself standing on the outside of this forest, kind of anticipating what's on the other side of the forest, what's in the forest. And you're standing there looking at it and you're like, nah, not wearing the right shoes. Not going to bother. I'm going to settle for what's on this side of the forest. I'm just going to be cool. Oh, what a beautiful landscape. That's right. lovely. I like it. That's kind of what I think of like simplicity on the near side of complexity is like, I'm just going to kind of settle for what's right in front of me. Simplicity on the far side of complexity. What are some of the things that you accept if you decide you are going to search for simplicity on the far side of complexity? So think about my forest. This is you deciding to step into the forest, 
to trudge through it and figure out what's on the other side. So what are some of the things that you are choosing to accept, to embrace when you make the decision to step past the edge of the forest? Pain. Okay. Potentially. Mm-hmm. Confusion, potentially. Okay. Good. Um, uncertainty, especially right. not only in what lies ahead, but also in how long this is going to last. Right. That's right? a good one. <laughs> how how long is this pain going to last? Will it be right. all pain or will it be a lot right. easier than I thought it was going to be? Yep. I've, I've seen times like that as well. Yeah. Um, will I be the only one in there going through that and on the other side as well? Like, am I going to find what I want on the other side? Will the people that I want to hang out with be on the other side of it too? Right, right. Who's going to be with me? Is it going to be the same group of people or is it how much am I going to have to change my life to be there? Right. And if I get there, will it even be worth it for me to go through all of that? Okay. So like, as you're saying all of these things, you're very clearly making the connection that we're talking about stepping into spiritually spiritual complexity, right? Mm -hmm. This forest is basically this forest of spiritual complexity. So let me kind of repeat some of the things that I heard you say. Okay. When we step into spiritual complexity, sometimes we don't know what to expect, right? We don't know there's going to be pain. We don't know if we're going to be a little bit more lonely. We don't know if we're going to feel isolated for time. We don't know if we're going to feel confused. We don't know if we're going to feel um, like excited and happy about what we find or something different. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, did I miss any, like what, what did I miss of the things that you said? What did I say most of them? Pain. I keep going back to pain. That, that's my big one. Are you pain averse? Like what's the deal here? So, so what I am a person who really likes stability, like I crave stability and I love predictability too, because I can plan for it and I'm definitely right. a planner. And so for a lot of my life, I was really comfortable with simplicity on the near side of complexity. I kind of took things, um, as far as the gospel is concerned at face value. Sure. And I think that, um, it served me well during times of my life when i might have otherwise been confused um and i because i have kind of a more obedient personality it wasn't like dangerous if that makes any sense mm -hmm. but in as my life has progressed as i've um decided to take steps into complexity so to speak as i've decided to unwrap the bows that i had neatly tied around certain principles of the gospel um i have learned how much I was missing out on by mm. just settling for simplicity on the near side of complexity. Right. There is so much adventure, beauty, creativity, perspective. Can you add to that? Like what other blessings come from wading into the complexities of the gospel? Clarity. Clarity. Good. Not needing to worry okay I, I i find that i i mean at least with my journeys through complexity i find that you know i may be worried about something but i don't want to dive into it when i do dive into it and i go to the other side i realize you know what actually i don't need to worry about that anymore that's good oh, or i never okay, needed so, to worry about it in the first place 
So maybe resolutions Yep. in some yeah, cases. Good. When yeah. you first said worry, I thought maybe you were talking about like you were feeling worried about things, but having waded through the complexity, the perspective that you gained gave you, yes. you know, took away that worry. So maybe both sides of that sure. would be blessings or gifts from it, right? Benefits. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I love that you also brought up clarity. I think that um, it's really interesting that um, we can get more clarity by getting into the complex. Okay, so really quickly, right. I want to I do just add a little, you know, asterisk to what it is that we're saying. We are not talking about looking beyond the mark when we talk about wading into complexity right. at all. We are also talking about something that Kevin, you just mentioned a little bit earlier, like we have to make sure that when we wade into complexity, we do so with the right intention and asking the right questions, right? right. We'll talk about right. that more in just a couple of minutes because okay. I want you to share some of your thoughts about it. Um, but there are so many potential blessings to wading into the complexity. However, what does the quote tell us we will arrive at? I don't remember. Simplicity. On the other side of complexity. You got it. That's where you're going. Okay, gotcha. So, yes. Yeah. Like we will yes. arrive again <clears throat> at simplicity. Yes. So I started thinking a little bit about some examples of principles of the gospel that I could accept the simplicity on the near side of complexity and be blessed by, but be even more blessed by if I understand the simplicity of that principle on the far side of complexity. Let me give one example and then I want to see if you have a couple of examples that pop into your mind. Okay. This is an extreme example. Okay. Message of the book of Revelation. Basic message is that God wins, right? That <laughs> he has a plan and he's his plan wins. Like right. he's going to trump. And so I could look at the book of Revelation and I could be like, oh, this is a beautiful description of how Heavenly Father's plan is going to result in a victory. And how if I align myself with Heavenly Father, if I align myself with God, that he is going to be victorious over Satan. Right? And I could be like, that is an awesome, awesome message. Yay for that message. Yay. I'm at the edge Done. of the forest. Or I could wade into all of the symbolism in the book of Revelation. And I could learn details through the symbolism about um, Satan. Whoa, mm -hmm. that could bless my life? Oh, heck yes, mm -hmm. right? Because we are mm -hmm. better capable of spotting his deceit when we understand his strategies. I can understand more about the role that the church plays in God's plan. Sometimes I think that, especially in today's world, we, you know, organized religion gets a little bit of kind of a, a bad rap because, you know, we associate, you know, certain things with the church that aren't necessarily actually the gospel. And we don't really understand the role of the church in helping to fulfill God's purposes. So organized religion gets a little bit of a bad rap. Oh, I can come to understand the purpose of the kingdom of God on the earth. I can understand, oh, wait a minute. I can come to understand just how 
we will be victorious. Oh, I can come to understand what are some of the things that I can do to protect myself in the midst of all this. And all of this comes from the symbolism, but I'm going to arrive at the same conclusion. And that conclusion is that God will be victorious. God wins. Right. right? But the complexity of that understanding that message, I mean, I'm not even kidding. It there has been a life lesson in the book of revelation that has shaped my behavior. And that life lesson hmm. is my focus does not need to be on fighting evil. My focus needs to be on building Zion. That is one of my personal decision-making like principles that has come out of the book of revelation. But that came from wading through the complexity of that book. So how does Julie Hilliard then make decisions? Well, is this something that helps to build Zion or is this something that is going to in some way destroy or break it down? Am I anxious to fight this, you know, evil that I see potentially coming into my, you know, it's going to hurt my family in some way. Oh, shift. Is there a way that I can address this evil by building Zion? That's Do you great. see what I'm saying? Yes. And so that comes from wading through that complexity. So yes. can you think of any examples of other principles of the gospel that when you are on the near side of complexity, you're like, yay, but completely change for you when you land at the same conclusion after having waded through it? Yes. I want to give you a general one and then a very, very specific one. The first, first the general one, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've gone through this exact same process in different topics overall. And right. every time that I co go through it, I come out and I feel like because I'm always I'm always trying to teach, I'm always trying to explain. And I'm, one of my big things about me, my personality is I love to find how do I explain the really complicated in terms that are really easy to understand. Yeah. There, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm always thinking about topics, complicated topics. And then how do I explain that in ways that a lay person could understand? Yes. And I find that when I go through the complex and it come out the other side, it's so much easier for me to explain that. It, I mean, it, totally. it's head and shoulders above what I used to be able to do. And I can do that with my kids. I can do that with my wife. I can do that with the, those I teach beyond this, et cetera. So, um, and I can't think of anything. I mean, I, I'm thinking about, I, I actually do this all the time with missionary discussions. How would I yeah. teach grace versus works? You know, just that topic, I've had to go through and dive in and how do other churches see grace and works? And yeah. how do they see us? How do they think we think about grace and works and try to look at all the different perspectives and come out and then go, oh, it's that simple. Well, look at that. And, right. and I can explain it that simply. And that, that answers all the questions. I feel... Like Elder Bednar, I have watched him be able to explain things very simply. And it seems like he has walked through that so many times. And he says, this is how it is. That's all you need to think about. And it's like, oh, duh. Well, of course. <laughs> Why didn't I think about that? Because right. I didn't go through the complexity. So, right. so the second example I have is very, very specific. This morning, 6 o'clock, I'm driving Royce and a neighbor friend to seminary. My radio in my truck has been blown out, and so I'm waiting for a new one to arrive. And until then, I've got nothing, and that's great. And because I just think, 
Yeah. And so I'm driving back by myself and I was thinking about a post I read last night from a friend back in high school who is and has been going through a really, really rough time of life, life-wise and spiritually-wise, all, all of it, and family-wise, and in the post that she, and she's been detailing out this post and writing it for everyone to read, and, it's, and I'm sure it's been very, very therapeutic, and it really helps me understand her perspective and one of one of the things she said in her last post was something along the lines of i was brought up to learn you obey the brethren you listen yeah. to what they say that you shouldn't be questioning that da, 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 da. and she was very she is very obviously going through the complexity right, right now right and at the very very end of the post i thought it was really cool at the very end of the post, it was something, you know, I can't answer all these questions. And then at the end, she said something along the lines of, but I want to believe. Mm. I thought, good for you. That is so good. You're, you're, you're going through it. And I think everyone needs to go through that, right? Yeah. I mean, how many times do we, how many times do we see inadvertently that we say, oh, we shouldn't question this or, oh, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't go through that. No, absolutely question it. I want my kids to ask questions, the hard, hard questions, right? Let's go through the complexity so that when you get out in the real world and you're getting, you're hit with the complexity, you don't falter and trip and fall on your face. No, let's go through that now at home. Unless let's ask some of those really, really tough questions and go through this right now. So there's a couple examples of going through that and coming out. Okay, so one of the things that I love about what you just said is that you talked about the value and the complexity. Like, I don't think, and maybe this is, I haven't really thought this statement through super thoroughly, so you can push me or challenge me if I'm okay. wrong, but I don't know that we can have a real unshakable testimony without going through the complexity. I don't think that on the near side of complexity, we can have an unshakable testimony. I would agree with that. I would yeah, agree. I think it's kind of a requirement. Yeah. In fact, and Heavenly Father wants us to get there. That's the thing. He almost right. pushes he us, us into this. This is like, right. this is the seeking part, right? right? You wade into the complexity. That is, by definition, you going on like a treasure hunt. You're seeking. Yes. And in fact, so I remember, I remember saying this in Elder's Quorum years ago. Or was I a priest? I mean, you know, elders quorum Whatever. as it is now. But this was years yeah. ago when we lived in Alabama. We were talking about going through difficult times. And I remember raising my hand and saying something along the lines of, you know, either Heavenly Father can make life difficult for you to help you learn, or you can choose your challenges and you can you can do that yourself. Now, I said that. <laughs> I said that understanding that we will all be surprised by the challenges we have that we yeah. can't we can't control all those things that heavenly father gives to us to go through i totally get that but i think sometimes we get into really almost apathetic uh states of mind or or times of life where we're just like oh yeah you know uh uh what, what does the scripture say all is well in zion right all is yeah. well in zion and everything's great here right well but hey, buddy, if you don't start challenging yourself and putting yourself through some complexity, Heavenly Father will give you that complexity 
and right. and it'll probably surprise you and it probably may hurt more than you just going out and actively finding something okay where do i need to challenge myself what complexity do i need to go through right now because if you don't oh. he will so i understood it differently when you first said it but i what i hear you saying now is that heavenly father wants us to learn and he wants us to grow and if we're not actively seeking to grow and progress and like kind of being proactive about those efforts that he'll insert something into our life that will actually make it happen. Is that what you That saying? is the gospel of Kevin Jones. Yes. Right, right. Um, let me throw out one that just kind of simplicity on the near side of complexity thing. Okay. I want you to think about how um something like covenants, like you mentioned, you know, principle like grace versus works and stuff like that. Um you know, you can make covenants with Heavenly Father. We make baptismal covenants. We make covenants in the temple. We renew our covenants with the sacrament, all of that. Um, and I have always understood covenants as kind of a two-way promise, right? That was kind of the definition sure. that we heard. And that is very, um, very appropriate. It's accurate. And this last year, studying the New Testament on the tail of studying the Old Testament, I really have come to define covenants differently. So I arrived at the same word. My previous definition is still totally true, but to me, it is all about our relationship with Heavenly Father. And so it's completely changed how I view covenants. And so I arrived at simplicity, but I arrived at simplicity still with like this different, like an expanded view of how it could be meaningful in my life like how it can actually impact my life versus a two-way promise, you know, doesn't really make me feel closer necessarily to Heavenly Father. It feels a little bit more contractual versus if I look at my covenants as a way to strengthen my relationship and deepen my relationship with him, I'm behaving differently because right. of those covenants. And I look at that, I view them differently. They become more sacred to me actually yes, because of that perspective. So I go ahead. And, and that's why I think my one of my first uh, benefits of coming out of the complexity that I said was clarity, because yeah. we, we, we do have that clarity. We, we finally understand, oh, that's what it really means. And honestly, I, I would not be surprised with each of these things that we're talking about that we've gone through through the complexity. There's probably another layer that we don't know about yet. Right. Right. I mean, don't you think that. OK, so. I have taught um, this class that I'm doing right now for about six years. And I'm coming back to some of the lessons that I taught, um, you know, several years sure. ago because it's the same curriculum. And I'm looking at those lessons and I'm like, oh, that was great. But I'm understanding different things mm -hmm. this time than I did before. And so what I hear you saying is that we can get to a certain level having waded through the complexity and think that we have arrived, but we still shouldn't be putting a bow on this because that <laughs> changes our basically our benchmark for simplicity. Like we started right. a different place and then again, we wade back in and there's always going to be more to learn. This is kind of how the gospel is. Yes. You know, looking forward to that celestialized Urim and Thummimi earth so that we can know a heck of a lot more and it'll all be more clear. Okay. So I want to talk about two benefits that we haven't really mentioned yet to wading okay. through complexity from the perspective of a teacher. So if 
if you were to ask me this, um, I'm going to give you an answer that I that is my ideal, but I am a bit of a hypocrite because I don't do this every single time. Okay. But if I have the time, this is my desire. My desire as a teacher is to go through this process every single time I'm about to teach. Start with the topic. This is my understanding of the topic. My job as a teacher is to wade through complexity and arrive at simplicity and teach from there. But my job is also to take people through a bit of a journey Good. to arrive there themselves. Yes. So two suggestions, two thoughts that go, that I was thinking about that go into this. One of them is that I feel like if we go through that process of wading through complexity, we are capable as we lead them through it of removing obstacles. Let me tell you what I mean. So I think about, for example, in the book of Revelation, this is a little bit of a different type of teaching, but because I'm in the throes of it right now, it's fresh in my brain. There's tons of symbolism. And so what I did to try and prepare to teach this class is I put together like a spreadsheet of symbolism and I put together mm -hmm. a spreadsheet that goes through a chronology and I put together, and this is more than I do for most classes. But what I'm trying to say is that my goal was not to prove how smart I was, but my goal was to remove some of the obstacles to them being able to process the symbolism. So again, extreme example, but I'm like, okay, if I can wade through this and I can summarize it and say, here are the chapters that are chronological versus here are the chapters that are interludes, then people can go, oh, I'm not going, why, where did this come up? Why are we all of a sudden talking about the pre-existence? Well, no, that's an interlude chapter. It's a little bit of a jump back. And then we're going to pick up the chronology of the seven seals. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And so if I can wade through some of the complexity, I can help remove obstacles for the class. So think about what you do to help people wade through it while removing obstacles. So just be thinking about that. I'll give you just a second to think, and I'll give you okay. one example. Okay. The one thing that I do not in the book of revelation necessarily but in any you know principle that i'm studying specifically if there are scriptures associated with it is i try and figure out what questions i have and so if for example i'm going through and i'm like wait this doesn't feel like it lines up oh i don't know if i understand the history well enough to make this fit in wait if this happened wait that that doesn't make sense unless there was, you know, this had to have happened before. I wonder if it did. Let me go find. And so I kind of go down some of these rabbit holes because I try and take and just make sense of whatever it is we're talking about in almost a linear way, which mm -hmm. isn't very spiritual, I realize. But if I can make sense of it in a linear way and kind of tell it as a story, then I can, I have to ask questions to be able to do that cohesively then I can help remove some of those obstacles that other people might encounter if they are also linear thinkers and say, oh, and when you get to this point, you're going to read this. Don't forget back in do, 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 do. Do you see what I'm saying? Like some yes. of those tangents. I'm, am I making just noises too frequently no. for you to be able to piece together what I'm saying? I love it. I know okay, exactly okay. what you're saying. Yes. So what, tell me what are some of the things that you do as you're wading through complexity to prepare to remove obstacles <laughs> for classes okay i'll kind of give you what i do as well 
in this process because I've done this so many times and this is actually kind of fun for me. I love yeah. this. Um, I love to bring up a topic and have everyone go, oh, yeah, and answer from their side of simplicity, wherever they understand. Wherever right? simplicity is for them, yep. right? Yep. Great. And then I'll bring something up that totally contradicts what they said. Hmm. But they also know is true. And that they never really put together. Or 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 something that sounds right. Okay. That contradict and then then all of a sudden there's this tension in their brain of well, what what is that? Okay, and I'll give you an example of this. So Okay. Um Wait, but pause. We, you're okay. telling me that you intentionally create tension. Absolutely. Okay. Inside it, it on a mental and even sometimes a spiritual level. And it's not so much, I wouldn't say it's tension, but it's a little conflict. Discontent. That, yeah, that they that they have never put together before. But if they had really thought about it, they probably should have thought about these don't quite fit on this side of simplicity. They don't they don't uh, match. Okay. You actually have to go through it to understand how they do. They do match. But, you know, given at face value, they don't. So, for example, we had the elders over a few nights ago and they just popped by and we started talking and they had um they had a third elder on exchange with them and he had been out for about three weeks oh. and it was you know it was good to just talk with them for a little bit and so we started talking about and i don't remember how it was brought up but kelly said something about saving ordinances mm -hmm. and he said you know saving ordinances like i uh, know there's baptism and then there's uh the temple ordinances and i said hold on saving ordinances and exalting ordinances and and they went wait wait a minute what, what? And i said what and i said okay elders tell me if someone were to ask you what's the difference you know someone from a different church what is the difference between salvation and exaltation what would you say mm -hmm. and uh, well um okay uh, and they tried to go through it Mm -hmm. And they stumbled badly. Okay. Okay. And I said, okay, you, you know the answer to this. You just don't know you know it yet. Right, right. Right. And so what I did is I walked them through just a series of questions of basic things that they know and understand and brought it out in them through their answers. And so they started to understand the difference between salvation and and exaltation. One of them said, I remember that someone said that salvation is an individual matter and exaltation is a family matter. Good. good, that's, good. A, yeah. that's a great start. Good. And so we went through a number of questions. So the way I help people go through that complexity is to ask questions that they typically already know the answers to. They just haven't put it into the, uh, the same context and kind of wrapped it all together and thought about them kind of layered on top of each other. And when they do, they they often already know the answer, but they just haven't gone through the mental work of going through that process to try to understand it. Okay, so I don't know if I'm smart enough to do that. No, you are. And, um, I, and, I, and I think I, I, would, I would not be surprised if you do this. And I don't even know. And you don't even know it. I don't even know. Because I'm like listening to you and as you're saying this, I'm like, because what that means is that you have to do the work to understand where the conflict is. Right. So I have to understand where the conflict is, what what their conflict is, 
I have to understand what they know and don't know. And then I have to have gone through it myself to know how to get to the other side to help walk them through to bring out the answers that they already know to help them get to the other side. So yes. So if you if you haven't walked that path already, you're leading them into confusion basically. Correct. So you really have to have either arrived somewhere or cuz what happens if you don't actually arrive? So can you teach about a subject that you haven't drawn those types of conclusions on yet? Absolutely. Okay. I so have. Yes. Okay. So then how do you approach something like that? If you haven't actually arrived at simplicity on the far side of complexity and you're still wading through complexity, how do you do it without leading people to confusion? It's a journey we go on together. Oh, <laughs> right? hold hands. Yeah. You hold hands and say, okay, let's think about this. I have never thought about this before. That's a great question that brought, you know, someone brought up we need that seems to conflict what we're talking about let's ask a few questions and give some answers and walk through this together and try to understand this together and we may not come out in the end to a good solution but what i always try to um leave them with are good questions to ask to make sure they're asking the right questions to eventually get them there and lead them out to out of the forest and to the other side of uh, complexity into that, into that version of simplicity. So we kind of made this point on a previous podcast that it's not actually a bad thing to lead people to a wrestle. Right. Like it, if you can mm -hmm. inspire them to engage further on a subject, you are basically um, setting up, if you will, a catalyst for them to have an experience with the spirit, which is way more important than you being the facilitator of a yes. spiritual experience. Yes. And so that is vulnerable. That's really scary as a teacher to go mm -hmm. into a place that you're still like up to your, you know, thighs in mud on and to take people with you and know that you're all going to arrive at a better place. But what I hear you saying is that you absolutely can do it. Now, a caution, this goes to your thing about, remember you mentioned right before we got on about the types of questions that we ask. Maybe you should bring up that caution. Yeah, I think one of the, and I came up with this thought a few days ago, I think one of Satan's biggest tools is to get us to be asking the wrong questions. Because we naturally, anytime we are asked a question, our brains by instinct want to answer the question. And if he right. can get us answering the wrong questions, going thinking the wrong way, then we will won't go through the complexity that's behind us that we need to turn around and view. So it's really important that we ask the right questions. And that almost at the same time, that almost may say, well, if you, you know, if if we talk some talk about some of the sensitive topics that may come up in the church. Oh, well, if you don't think about it in the right way that the brethren want you to think about it. And yeah. I mean, people can go completely against that. And I, and I totally get that, that that may be a thought, but it isn't. It's be, it just as a natural law of life. If we don't ask the right questions, we will never find the right answers, period. And so if Satan can get us off onto the wrong questions and get us all tied up and wrapped around the wrong questions, 
<laughs> then we're heading down the wrong path and we'll never find the right answers. Okay, so I hear two things coming out of that. And one of them is it, it Satan can get us asking the wrong questions that we can be led in the wrong direction. And I love that you pointed out that this is not like a manipulative technique that you have to be coming from the same mindset as everybody else to be able to ask the right, not, not at all. Right. I actually, when you first started saying it was thinking of it just a teensy bit differently, but I think they connect, they intercept. I was thinking about that the, he can get us distracted asking yes. questions that are less important great which keeps us from focusing on the questions that are most important i like that as well and that's great yes i think both he can get us asking the wrong questions because we will always find what we're looking for mm -hmm. and so for example if we are asking is you know such and such event from church history you know accurate well not only is that not a primary question but we're going to look in places that give us information where there might be nothing in our church's history from a reliable source about that topic. There could be a million fabricated stories about that topic. Yes. So he gets us looking, asking the wrong questions. We start moving in the wrong direction. Likewise, he can distract us from the more important questions by having us focus on the secondary questions, so to speak, that trips us up. So the primary questions, if these the secondary questions are basically distractions from the questions that are going to be most important in helping bring us closer to our heavenly father. Like, and so yes. Like what, like, what would you say are some of those secondary questions that distract us? So I think secondary questions that distract us oftentimes have to do with culture, with church history, with practices, with, and I don't know that I can even put umbrella labels on it that easily. Mm -hmm. It's very, um, easy for me to see when somebody else is asking a question and getting really tripped up to say wait a minute let me look at that question is that a primary or secondary question and kind of say that feels a little secondary to me but to come up with them is hard mm -hmm. church history is a super easy one for me to think about because if these it is very important to, for me to know if joseph smith is a prophet of god and it's very important for me to know if the book of mormon is true those feel primary Mm -hmm. But whether or not Emma struggled with polygamy and whether or not, you know, how many wives he had and how many, you know, I, those are secondary questions in my mind. That's not helping Good. me to know whether or not Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. Right. And, and so really wading through complexity, there has to be some judgment on our part as to how we're trudging. Because if we're going to trudge through complexity and we're in this forest and we see quicksand and we decide to go step in the quicksand and we get stuck in the quicksand, we're never going to make it to the other side and arrive at simplicity again. But if we can see certain obstacles on that journey and exercise wisdom, I mean, it's not like Satan has to stay out of the forest, mm -hmm. you know, to go with my really bad analogy that doesn't play out super <laughs> no, well. No, it did. But... It worked. It worked. Okay. I have found that the secondary questions are a lot easier to understand once we have answered the primary questions. Yes. Well, so Lawrence Corbridge's talk, it's called, um, what is it called? Hold on. Primary versus secondary questions. No, it's something not. Like that. It's not. It's called just, in the strength of the Lord or something. No, that's, that's, it. no, that's. Ben I just messed you up, didn't I? Hold on. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it's called. I'll look it up. Um, 
if you can find it, that would be great. But he's okay. got this talk that he gives that is so phenomenal. And what he said is that if you start with and focus on the primary questions, that the secondary questions either get answered or they no longer seem important to you. So hmm. they kind of, you, you're like, it's not really relevant. So you weed them out or you answer them in the process of focusing on the primary questions. It's not being naive. It's not being dismissive. It's not being manipulative to say you need to focus on the primary questions while you're wading through complexity at all. Right. Rather, it's wisdom and trying to avoid deception, trying to avoid getting on the wrong path. Did you find it by chance? I found a version of it uh, called... Uh, stand, no, that, stand forever. Um, stand forever. That's what it's called. It's called Stand, stand forever. forever. Yes. Um, okay. Did you have something you were about to say or should I move on to point two? Uh, so if I could, let me give you another example of a, of a secondary question that distracts us. Yes. How many Instagram followers do I have? How many what? Instagram followers do I have? Oh, that, that question right there is, <laughs> is, is, I mean, or, you know, um, I've been going to the gym, how buff, how much can I lift? You know, how many plates can I lift? I mean, <laughs> what? those kind of those might be secondary, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not that the number of followers on Instagram we have are thinking about that as bad or how many plates we can lift at the gym is bad. But when we're f more focused on that than the real primary questions, those are the things that we can be obsessed with or get get distracted with. And, and I, I mean, we could go on and on about different questions like that that can distract us from. And, and, the, and all Satan has to do is, hey, that one is one you need to focus on. Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. That one seems really important to me right now when it, when it means nothing in the eternities. Nothing. I got you. So what I hear you saying is that not only can Satan deceive us when it comes to the spiritual questions that we ask, but he can actually keep us asking the wrong questions entirely so that we're not even focused on the spiritual things. That's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Great point. So let me kind of, because that was a teensy bit of a tangent, but it wasn't okay. totally. I want to go back. The point that I was talking about had to do with um, things that we can do to remove obstacles. And part of what we can do to help remove obstacles for the people that we are teaching is we can explore some of the questions that we have that they also might have on a topic so Good. that we can address them and keep keep walking through the forest. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, don't let people get hung up on the things that really are secondary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't let them get yeah. tripped. Don't don't create. Don't let don't let some of those stumbling blocks prevent them from moving forward in their understanding of the topic. And that's right. one of the blessings of having done the homework first, having done the exercise, gone through that exercise is that we can remove some of those obstacles for them so that they can keep progressing. In fact, I actually think that's one of our jobs. Mm -hmm. And if we don't even know what the obstacles might look like, and in order to know what they look like, we got to be in tune with who we're teaching. We've also got to have some understanding ourselves. If we don't do the work to be able to figure that out, then we'll be tripping with them as we go through it. Right. Because people are bound to, to struggle. Right. And if we're struggling along with them, again, not that, not that we can't struggle along with them, but we have yeah. to make sure that as if we are leading a discussion, 
we can struggle as long as we're pointed the right way. Yeah, that we're leading somewhere, right? Yes, yes, yes. And that their questions or their comments aren't distracting us into, uh, you know, diverting us into someplace where we, that isn't going to help us. Let's make sure we're on the right path. And that's, that's our job as teachers is to make sure that all these questions that we have are directed in the way and and also and and here here's we in the last episode we talked about uh phrases that we say all the time right the right we talk about the right things to do the right answers yeah it's more along the lines of helping us make sure that we are going oh i just had it in my head a better way to say that that it is helping us i guess in the end bring us closer to jesus christ right yeah those other ones may there may be good questions to ask but they're not helping us get closer to christ once when we focus on that then maybe we can circle back and get those other ones but let's help us and our class or the people we are teaching or the individual focus in the in the right direction i would say i mean i think that part of what you said two things in there one of them is that one of the obstacles that it can help us to remove is getting actually even diverted in our discussion yeah. If we can kind of have gone through yes. some of the complexity, we can avoid becoming diverted mm-hmm. or allowing the class to become diverted in the process of doing that. But you brought up a second point, which was actually my second benefit. And that is that it becomes really clear what we ought to focus on when we wade through complexity. Seriously? That was my dog. <laughs> so rude. She's yes, it was. Um, yes. So- that is, and that was actually my second point. I started to think about this when um, we were interviewing Greg and Brad about teaching seminary. Mm-hmm. And one of them said that they only try and make one point each class, one point. Mm, sure. And I started kind of mulling over that. And then I had an experience the next week where I tried to make too many points. And I'm like, uh, I can see go. why that's so yes. important. And so I really kind of botched it. I did not have a great class and I was pretty frustrated afterwards. And I kind of realized that the reason I didn't have a great class is because I tried to cover too much. Mm-hmm. And so I started to think about a principle that I learned. And I actually remember where I was even when I learned it. This is just a little bit crazy. But I was traveling with Stephen Covey and Franklin Covey had just started talking about something called XQ or the execution quotient. Right. I remember that. It was yeah. Based on some research with Ram Charan and others who had written mm-hmm. about principles of execution. And one of the things that was said is that when we set goals and we have one to two goals, we will accomplish one to two things. But the minute we get above that, that we usually don't even accomplish one. Yep. And I was like, baloney. Like I accomplish, I my New Year's resolutions list are like ten things, and so I kind of started to test that just a little bit, and I was like, "Oh, that is so true," and I think that the same is true in our classrooms. That when we try and accomplish more than one or two points, one or two points only, that we will succeed in accomplishing none of them. And part of that is because it's really hard for people to follow more than just one or two points Mm -hmm. and internalize it in a way that's like, okay, I can do something with this. I can remember, I can retain what it is that we talked about. So part of it is for them, but part of it is for us that we have to, if we wade through complexity, we can arrive at the point that the spirit is telling us we ought to make in that class. We can arrive at simplicity and then it's if it's clear to us what it is that we want to accomplish 
we can figure out how to incorporate some of the details in to reinforce that point. And if it's clear to us, we're not going to be as easily distracted. We're, we're going to be more clear in what it is that we're trying to articulate. We're going to be more clear in shaping that point. And so when I was talking about this, I thought, oh, I'm going to dig up some of my old slides related to mm. you know, XQ and stuff like that. And one of the things that I thought about, um, and this is something that I've used in some of the consulting work that I've done before that I think applies just beautifully, is that when you are working to get a group of people executing on something, you know, say in a corporate setting or something like that, not only does the goal have to be clear, but they have to be committed to it. And they have to understand their role in accomplishing that goal. Yes. So I was thinking about that when it comes to the teaching setting. So when you think about the classroom discussion, they need to have clarity about what it is you're talking about. They need to be engaged. That's the equivalent of commitment. But they also have to understand their role in contributing to that discussion. And so the more clear you are, the more on point their comments and questions will be the more it will be building a discussion versus chasing some of the derailments to the discussion does that make sense does That's that resonate very with you? good yes it does um i recently listened to a podcast leading saints podcast about sunday school and the title of it something was like learner councils it had oh. to do with learner councils and i went not teacher councils, but learner councils to help people learn to learn and what role the learners have in a class. That's, that's pretty awesome. Holy right. cow, right? What role does the learner have in there? And does everyone understand that? Or do they have a misunderstanding of what that learning role is? Right. Where, where they come into the class and they just think, I'm going to teach me. Yeah. Go feed me. That's right. Right. Feed me Seymour. And then they may or may not be fed, but it's, it's uh very being acted upon where the actual learner, should they be engaged? And we all hope they are, are actually acting right. so that they can be engaged. But we have to set it up. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, that's what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I love that term, learner councils. How rad is that? <laughs> yeah. but like a lot of people do come. I mean, I'm even guilty of this sometimes. I'm like, I need to be uplifted. Feed me, right. you know, or mm -hmm. whatever. But if someone is clear about what we're talking about and I feel committed to that discussion or engaged in that discussion, man, I'm on board. Yes. And then I can really figure out, for example, when somebody says, you know, does anybody have an experience with that? Which is a question that I hate. Right. Like we've got to figure out a better way to ask, has anybody had an experience with that? Because yeah. then in my mind, I'm just like, I think I have a little bit of brain lock when people ask that question because I have a really bad memory. And so that's why I think I'm but like, others oh. have a really good memory and you know, you're going into a black hole because someone know, is it. going to not stop with their 15 minute story, right? <laughs> exactly. You are literally opening it up to be derailed. <laughs> but right. if you can instead have people be engaged and understand how the experiences that they have had drive home that point, mm -hmm. how their contribution can actually help 
the goal, help us to reach the goal, the stories are going to be more succinct. And they're really going to reinforce, you know, the application of the principle that we're trying to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we, if we can figure out, we, okay, let me, I feel like we shoot ourselves in the foot when we try and accomplish too much. Agreed. And for those reasons, like where, as if we can just arrive at simplicity on the far side of complexity and really understand what it is that the spirit wants us to be teaching about and focused on that we can set ourselves up for an like a learner council type experience. And I love that, by the way, that is so good. And it's Isn't stuck it? right there. Is that so good? I started thinking it's about so hmm, how can we and, and another episode I want to do is around the Sunday school presidency and their role. And it, which is really interesting because in our ward, we just called a brand new Sunday school presidency and we walked them through and they're like, what, 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 what? They had no idea. And my son-in-law, he just became Sunday school president. Um, and when in his, I, ward or is he in in, in his ward, yeah, in a, in a yeah. different ward. And so we were talking about that. And when I heard about these learner councils and I thought, <laughs> I'm just, just the name in and of itself gave me so right. many uh ideas of things that could happen that are just incredible so, i love it so that they can be involved in going through that process to come out right. on the far side of complexity right and so i to summarize what it is that i'm trying to make the main point the one main point today, my one main point is that our job as teachers is to arrive at simplicity on the far side of complexity and that is our own journey. That's why everybody talks about the fact that you learn most by teaching, because that's the work you have to do to be able to teach in an effective way. And there are so many blessings and benefits from doing that. Like we talked about several, so many pitfalls if we dodge it and try not to do that right. And one of the things that I just wanna make sure got highlighted is the fact that if we are willing to do that, my two points, one is that we can help remove obstacles to learning. And the second is that we can all be more clear and committed and arrive at a single point that we are trying to make, which will help the whole class to be better. I love that. Thank you. So many good things to think about. Oh boy. I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. Well, I'm going to be thinking about this learner council thing. Will you send me that podcast? Yeah, and we'll put it in the show notes as well so that yeah. everyone can just link to link right to it. It was a great discussion uh, from someone else in the state of Washington. Another Ooh. Washingtonian. There we go. Like Pretty it. cool, huh? Yeah. All right. Thank you for coming, everyone, and listening. And go take this back and run with it. Go do something better than you have done before as a teacher and as a learner. And as always, if you would, please share, like, follow, Leave a comment. All of that good stuff helps us get it, helps to help us teach more teachers. Thanks for coming, everyone. Take care. Love it. See ya. Bye.